This week's guest on York Hospital Ball is not a player, but a journalist who covered York City with distinction for a number of years, which included a number of highs and lows. Dave Flett might be better known for his written material, but here you can listen to his views on journalism through the years, his take on the events at the club over the past decade, and how he started as a reporter at Booth and Crescent, but arguably left as a supporter. This week's episode is again sponsored by Play Football, who are promoting their walking football sessions. Walking football has become a huge phenomenon in recent times, and Play Football runs sessions on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 10am. It is open to all ages, but mainly consists of players in their 60s and 70s. Walking football reduces the pace of the game. All you need is a pair of trainers and a sense of humour, as Play Football provide the rest. So, if you want to taste a session, roll back the years with like-minded people, then there's no need to book. You can get more information on 01904 238 230. And if that hasn't convinced you, then you get a free cuppa and chat after. Play Football is on Stirling Road, next to Roco Gym, with free parking. Hospital Ball is a spin-off from York Hospital Radio. The views of our guests are their own, and not necessarily the views of the radio station. But, without further ado, here is episode four, Dave Flett. So Dave, I know we start interviews, you know, talking about players' careers and, and thinking today, you know, it's not going to be an ex-player, but then you've just come straight from five aside. Who do you play for and who would you compare yourself to as a York City player? I play for a team called Lose Quest, which is a derivative of the old press team. But over the years, one by one, the players started leaving the newspaper for one reason or another. It d- didn't seem right to carry on calling it the press. None of us work for the press any longer. So we play six aside every Monday night in the York college football mundial league and we've been quite successful over the years to be honest we've won the last six premier division titles but this season we've sat falling away a little bit and i think we're probably going to finish mid-table but in terms of a player i'm a center forward some striker and i'd go with richard brodie at his peak (laughs) (laughs) so let's get into your your years covering um york city for the evening press started 2003 I believe yeah. one all against Cheltenham yeah, John Parkin right. got a tap in was that right absolute um, worldy of a goal I think it was about 45 yards it was obviously my first experience of Big John in a post-match interview as well which was was quite entertaining won't tell you exactly what he said and I'll try and paraphrase where I can so I asked him after the game you know what what went through your mind before you hit that shot John because it was 45 yards out and he just said basically said well I was blowing through my backside so I just thought I'm gonna smack it <laughs> in, in, in more colourful language but that was brilliant that was John and you know he did, didn't go for the cliches it was you had to um, change the terminology somewhat for a family audience but yeah it was, a, it was a fantastic goal to start my York City career off with really because you did a little bit of work yeah. covering Luton Town at one point yeah, in the time yeah. didn't you and- yeah, well, if I take you, I'll take you right back to the first time I was um, interested in journalism. Really, like, like most kids growing up, I wanted to be a footballer, and um, I was lucky enough to be picked up at, by Doncaster Rovers at a certain age. And I was in the School of Excellence back then. Got to the age of sixteen when apprenticeships were being dished out, and and I was cut loose at that age. The spiel that they gave us at Donny at that time, there was a group of us who all got released at the same time. And I, don't worry, lads, we released Kevin Keegan because he was too small. Now I was six foot, so um, I thought. Well, 
doesn't really apply to me, does it? But going back right right to uh, finally at primary school, we did a school project and it was to, to uh, make your own magazine. So I obviously was football mad and I did a football magazine as my project. Sowed the seeds really. I thought, oh, I really like this. When it came to university options, I did a communications degree, Goldsmiths University in New Cross, South East London. Part of it was journalism, the practical side. And there was obviously the theory side as well. But I was a football captain at university at the time. And we used to, before the time of group chats and stuff like that, we used to pin the team sheet on a notice board. And one week I was pinning the team sheet on the notice board and I saw a little advert. They wanted a, a writer to cover Charlton Athletic at weekends. It was a newspaper that was covering it was just a sport. It was called South East London Sports Scene. So it's it quite an ambitious project and it didn't last too long as it turned out, but it, it, it was good at the time. It covered Charlton, Millwall, Blackheath Rugby Club and fewer than non-league clubs like Welling, Dulwich Hamlet, Fisher Athletic, I think were quite doing quite well back then. So yeah, luckily I, I got this job just after I graduated. It wasn't a job, it was voluntary work, but it was great experience covering Charlton. Sort of getting your foot in the door sort of thing. Yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. And it was the, uh, it was the same year Lee Bowyer burst on the scene for Charlton. So it was quite an exciting season. That's one of the thrilling things about my job. When you see these players at City, like we've had Nick Pope and we've had Martin Wolford. Developing uh, at Luton, we had the likes of Matthew Taylor and who went on to have a good career, Matthew Spring, who should have had a, a better career. So, yeah, you see Lee Bowie and you think, well, there's, there's a bit of a player there at 17-18. Charlton got to the Championship playoffs that season. But unfortunately, the newspaper, you know, it, it wasn't sustainable. And after a year or so, it, it, it did pack in. In the meantime, I'd got a bit of freelance work with the Daily Mirror. Explained that I was a communications graduate and that I was doing a bit of voluntary work covering Charlton and whether there'd be the um, potential to do any games for them at the weekend. Luckily, they said yeah. And they gave me, at the time, like the League Two clubs to cover. So you'd have Fulham... Barnet and Leighton Orient I think were the three teams that I used to do 400 words on and that was great as well because the Mirror at the time had a magazine on a Monday which was called Football Mania quite good really because it was probably 24 pages a magazine format and more featurey so it wasn't match reports it was uh, interview led features so and the access to players even at the top flight was was so easy then so I, I got a cover piece with Ray Wilkins at the time mm. he was at Leighton Orient at the time so that was great I interviewed Trevor Sinclair at QPR's training ground. Martin Afire in his flat in Hampstead, I think it was. Because um, it, it wasn't just football as well at the back. There was um, a bit of rugby league and a bit of motorsports and stuff like that. And John Artson as well. West Ham, you, you literally used to just walk into West Ham's training ground. Harry Redknapp would welcome you, right. sit you down and get you a cup of tea. This was great as a young lad. Yeah, a yeah. Journalist so to... all, all that experience was building up. And then... Um, my mate's girlfriend was from Stevenage and she'd seen an advert for a um, reporter covering Luton Town. So went for the interview and um, luckily got, got my first full-time job and covered Luton Town for from 19, 1997 to 2003. Some ups and downs, <laughs> just as they were covering City. Best period was when Joe Kinnear came in and they did very well and finished just behind Plymouth and got 90-odd points. Finished runners-up that season. The Matthew Taylor was playing a cracking French lad called Jean-Louis Valois. Steve Howard was up front, who went on to a, have a good career. Yeah. Actually, saw him in a famous game at Bouvin Crescent when he he took the penalty twice and missed it and had it saved twice. So 
2003 came, personal circumstances really, I split up from my first wife. Did I ever see myself living down south for the rest of my life? Not particularly, so kind of the marriage split was an excuse to, to relocate back up north, but I d- didn't want to leave the industry, so basically fired my CV up to every newspaper up here, and the first people to get back to me was the Scunthorpe Telegraph in Scunthorpe, so went for an interview and luckily got the job in Scunthorpe, which was, um, at the time, it was a four-man sports desk, which is unheard of these days in the um, local newspaper industry, but it was. And it was good, the way the way this sports editor ran it, every, everybody got a bit of the interesting stuff, which is, is not always the case. So you would find yourself at Scunthorpe United every other game, do, doing a bit on the, on the football as well as, as mucking in with everything else. But in the meantime, probably, I think it was about, five months into that job the press at york rang me and said you know we got your cv a few months ago an opportunity has arisen now so um i had to think about it i was enjoying it at scunthorpe to be honest but york as a place obviously has a little bit more appeal than than scunthorpe does so for at the time i thought let's have a look and you know there's no harm in going to the interview you drive into york and it's beautiful isn't it so it's the kind of place you want to work and and luckily enough the interview went well and, and i did get the job initially it was to be a number two covering york city and york city nights so i would deputize when dave stanford was or, or when pete martini was off luckily i never had to cover the nights because i wouldn't know <laughs> what i was doing <laughs> quite fortunately dave within a month of me being there decided you know he wanted his, his weekends back and he, he would prefer a job sub-editing so all of a sudden, the job that I really wanted came up. And lucky enough, I got it. And my first game was that that Cheltenham game. Yeah. I mean, when I look back to that period, it, it was obviously a real difficult season, that first season. How difficult was that when the team was clearly, definitely post-Christmas, were in free fall? It was a really weird season, wasn't it? Because obviously when I got the job, I think they were just outside the playoffs. So there was no real sense of, of what was coming. And I think... Chris Brass and the board probably got caught out in that respect because, you know, January time, I think everybody thought, well, probably not going to get make the playoffs, but, you know... Well, they signed a new contract as well, didn't they? Yeah, they just kind of yeah. tagged them in. Um, and the, the feeling was, you know, we'd only need to pick up three wins and we'd be safe. So, you know, it's so Lee Bullock was sold, John Parkin was sold, and then just went into free fall. Didn't it? But it was weird because it been such a euphoria that the club had been saved previously. There was no real backlash against Chris Brass because he'd been such a figurehead. Managers get stick for much less since. I always remember when relegation was confirmed and, you know, the, the fans all came on the pitch. There was a real sense of unity about the club then, wasn't there? And there was a feeling that this has happened, but at least we've got a club and we'll come back straight away next season. Perhaps naive hope. But that, that was the feeling during that first season. It wasn't one of utter dismay, which obviously followed the second time when we went out of the league. I remember them playing Darlington in December time and losing 3-0. That was a bit of a worry, actually, because yeah. the way we were sort of just cut aside that, that game, and I just yeah. remember thinking, oh, it might be a bit tricky second half of the season. But I never envisaged how tricky it was going to be. And then, of course, relegation happened at Donny Rovers. So yes, a bit of mixed, bittersweet, that was, mixed, yeah, mixed really strange. Yeah. I know for a footballer, dropping out of a football league into non-league is obviously devastating because all footballers want to play in the football league. Is it similar for a journalist? Is it Definitely. I think the first year it was a novelty really, wasn't it? Um, although it was a, a, a big culture shock because, you know, the team struck up badly. You didn't really see an end to that until Billy McEwen came and he did a, a cracking job, you know, getting the club moving back in the right direction. You start out as a journalist and you kind of say to yourself... 
if it gets to conference level, I'm, I'm, I probably prefer playing football on a Saturday while I'm still in my twenties, early thirties. Certainly, conference north. You know, you you perhaps wouldn't enter, wouldn't have entertained yeah. when yeah. you start a job. But when you when you get an emotional attachment to a club, you, that doesn't really come in into the equation. I don't think you you know you you want to report on them regardless of what division they are. And it's inevitable with your okay. It's in football league terms, it's not the biggest fan base, and you know, arguably. York could get more people to... Well, that season we went down table. under Chris Brass. So yeah. Average attendance was 3,900. I mean, that was swollen a bit by the likes of Yorkshire Derby's one that season. Yeah, but Donnie. that 2,000 will be there come what may. And that that's terrific. Yeah. I mean, we, we've seen other clubs. Like my hometown, Doncaster, went out of the Football League with three-figured attendances. But I think the loyalty in terms of that hardcore at York is very, very special. Um, so you mentioned Billy McEwen there. I mean, he was a fiery character, wasn't he? What, what was he like to, to work with? He to, was a nightmare. I imagine if you asked his wife that, she, she would say the same. You know, if, if he was focused on the job and he had something in his head that he was focused on and concentrating on, he wouldn't entertain anybody. So if, if you rang him for an interview, something in, to do in his mind that he didn't have the time, you would get monosyllabic, one-word answers. But you couldn't take that personally. So... Other times, he would give you two hours of his time and it would be the most brilliant stuff you'd ever get. I imagine he, he worked with Brian Clough and I think he, obviously everybody who works with Brian Clough, like Gary Mills, Mills they yeah. all kind of adopt some of his mannerisms and I imagine Billy, that side of him was probably similar to Clough, very unpredictable. You didn't know what Billy McEwen you were going to get. So did you find yourself getting an emotional attachment to York City by this point then that... That you yeah. really wanted him to do well. Oh, yeah, Is that quite course. hard to... Does that cloud your judgment at all then when you're writing reports that if you're desperate for York City to do well and... No, I think a lot do. And I've seen a lot of fans who've become um, journalists at clubs and they fall into two categories, really. They can be overly critical in terms of, you know, they want the club to do, do so well that they're criti- critical. Every defeat is a, it is a disaster and, you know, there's... It's very little perspective and context. And then I've also seen the other type where they've just got rose-tinted spectacles on all the time and, you know, the, the club's cheated every game by the referee. And how did you stop yourself becoming that? Did you, is it conscious I effort? don't know. I think I've always been like that. I would analyse the game. I've always tried to be fair and impartial because that's what you're taught as a journalist as well. Obviously, the NCE examination and, and stuff like that, you are taught to be impartial and, you know, however difficult that can be. I've always criticised where I think it's due. Give praise where it's due and give uh, criticism like, where it's due. Did you do you ever get any feedback from players? You gave me certain a... ones all the time. Yeah, that's biggest thing really that that gets you in. Wouldn't say bother, but gets an emotional reaction. From yeah, them, yeah, yeah. You can write anything about them, but it's it's usually the if marks. You put a five next. To... If they've got the lowest mark. It's, and how um, did you come up with a grading system? With it? I, I think that was already in place. But obviously, you do put your own spin on it, don't you? And tens, obviously, well, in my career, it was a one in 22-year event. That was David McGurk at Luton yeah. in oh, the right. um, second leg playoff semi-final. Well, I thought he was he was incredible. Yeah, I mean, yeah. all the defence that day were incredible. The, the other three probably got nines, I would imagine, Perkis, Graham and Meredith. The only one that came close after that was um, Matty Blair in a game against Ebbsfleet. I don't know if you remember this one, Dan, but he got two goals. I think it was a 3-1 win. And he was absolutely everywhere. It was incredible. Like, I mean, that guy had stamina, didn't he? And, and that day, he just must... I know it's an old cliche, but he literally did cover every blade on the pitch. We didn't give halves, but he was a nine and a half that day. Now, if, if he'd have got a hat-trick, he, he was a ten, ten. definitely. Right. So, so just going back to that McEwen era event, it must have been nice to report on, obviously, that first season, he, he kept them up yeah. by 
tweaking the side, didn't he? I remember him putting Donovan yeah. centre midfield in. Yeah. He was, brought John Maloney in. Yeah, he? and he, yeah. he moved Groves further back, didn't he, to yeah. centre half. And, yeah. and that seemed to work. We got the wins against Exeter and Barnet, if yeah. I remember rightly, yeah. and that sort of kept us up. But the next couple of seasons were good, weren't they? I mean, yeah. they, they were definitely yeah. progress, and then they lost Bishop and Donaldson. So do you think he was a bit unlucky to get sacked? I mean, it was his first bad spell, really. I thought that was the one sacking, the t- timing of it, that the the board got wrong really I'd, I'd probably agree with all the other dismissals and you know s- some of them weren't dismissals they were resignations during my time but I, I thought Billy McEwen deserved better really prior to him coming it really really was going one way a hell of a job to turn that back around and, and it is as we've seen now back-to-back relegations it's only now hopefully that Steve Watson's starting to, to turn it around and you know two or three managers credible managers have had a stab at it and not been able to do it. So what Billy McEwen did then, first season, he, he worked his hardest to keep him up. And then the players he signed, he likes of Clayton Donaldson, Brody, Neil Bishop, Martin Wolford, like and Ben like Perkis. Well. Convery did a solid job. Yeah, there was a yeah. lot of players who came in, James Dudgeon, yeah. who'd done very little before and have done very little since. But they did a good job at that time, and that, that has to be down to the manager. But the kind of guy he was, big taskmaster. If you were a certain type of player and you didn't like to put perhaps as much effort in as he demanded from everybody and perhaps and it's it's very difficult when you're losing Donaldson you're losing Neil Bishop you're losing Andy Bishop no through no fault of his and also not getting any money for them yeah at some point those players just aren't going to be as good as the ones and probably their attitudes weren't as good so what what he'd got from those young lads who really wanted to progress in the game before he didn't get from this next group and I know for a fact it was it was more or less player power that that got him the boot in the end right when you hear that a manager's lost the dressing room, I think that says more about the players than it does the manager, really. But in that case, that was what unofficially was given as a reason for why Billy was going, because he'd lost the dressing room, whereas the reality was the players probably wanted an easier life and knew they were going to get that with Colin. And and it worked for a while. I mean, Colin did oh, okay. Honeymoon period, didn't but they? you always knew that, really, would Colin be a better manager than Billy McEwen in the long run? He's very yeah, I don't doubtful. think he's managed since, has he? Colin no, Moore. great so, coach, by the way, yeah. Colin. Yeah. So if we move it on to the Martin Foyle era, what, what was your relationship like with Martin? Was Yeah, it was good. He was probably as, as secretive as any manager right. I've come across. So sometimes he was very hard to read. I got on well with him and, and still speak to him from time to time now. And he just had a, a method of playing that worked, didn't it, for a while. I mean, those 1-0 wins wasn't pretty but I mean wow what a job he did on Richard Brody because that season he scored 37 goals he was he was incredible and Brody will tell you now that was down to Martin Foyle he he got a formula that worked for a while didn't he if a chance at, in the Wembley game against Oxford in the playoff final I think if that chance at ranking misses if that is the other way around ranking chests it down to Brody I think <laughs> I think that goal happens yeah. and then I think you're going to win that game. Yeah, yeah. Just the momentum of that second half shifted, didn't it? But it was one of those. What great game been. of if, but ifs and buts. What What was your experience like as a journalist going to Wembley? Yeah, what What a great place. There's no no better place to work in this country than than Wembley Stadium. A lot of people would say to me, you know, your, your period of covering York was quite a you know a dire time. But conversely, you know, I got to see him at Wembley five, six yeah, times. Yeah. So I was, you know. If you're losing count of the times you've been at Wembley, that's that can't be a bad thing. I think it was a bit of a playoff hangover, wasn't there? With Foyle, lost um, obviously Richard Brody to Crawley for a quarter yeah. of a million, lost 5 0 at Mansfield, if I remember yeah. right, and then he left. Millsy coming in, it always seemed to me from the outside that Mills was probably one you had the best relationship with. Gary, he, he could be prickly at times. It obviously helps when 
you cover a team when they're successful that always helps in terms of your relationship with the both the manager and the club so i don't know really yeah i could pick up the phone to gary and have a good chat now no problem but i think i could do that every manager <laughs> bar one yeah we'll come on to that <laughs> going back to that time obviously there was a Luton town away game where you were banned from yeah entering the ground so what, what was that all about then it's bizarre isn't it because when i left luton i wouldn't have really dreamt that luton and to take a job at, at york eventually that you know that those two clubs would become such big rivals because yeah. just, just there was no history of that it's very rarely played each other to be honest all of a sudden this big rivalry grew between the two clubs that i'd ported on for a significant period of time luton six years and and york by that time would have been six or seven years i think so i'd done equal stints at both clubs at that time the report i wrote was um it was after a game and we traveled down knowing full well what the weather forecast was all across the country and Chelsea Manchester United was scheduled for the following day, the Sunday. We were going down on the Saturday. But while we're travelling down, Chelsea Manchester United at Stamford Bridge, which is, you know, not, mm. not too far away from Kenilworth Road, had been postponed due to consideration for travelling fans. For and this is day. Premier League. This is Manchester yeah, yeah. United, who's half their fan base is in London anyway. But, but <laughs> the Premier League had seen fit to postpone that game because the weather forecast was dreadful. But we're there travelling down to Luton for a conference match so anyway i obviously got there i know the people at the gate and he the guy kind of laughed at me and said oh we know that we know there's no chance of this game finishing but we know if you lot come in and pay your money we get to keep the gate receipts before christmas i thought wow so anyway the inevitable happened um i think it was 15 minutes in the second half one of the snow came down match abandoned i got a lift to that game so we, i was in the back of the car writing my match report and it's no exaggeration to say that every City fan that went to that game was taking their life in the, the yeah, hands. Yeah, that, that yeah, might yeah. sound dramatic. Well, We're going not, back up not, the M1 you know. and there's snow drifts, there's lorries jackknifed across, mm. across the M1 and it took 11 and a half hours to get home. So yeah, I wrote a match report that basically... Told the drift. Yeah, yeah. And they, they objected to that. I found myself in the away end for the, the following game, rearranged game, which was it was the only bad performance we had against Luton. I think I lost 5-0. Is that when England got sent off? Yeah, and Greg Smith. Young had his yeah, best yeah. game for York City in goal. Chris Smith didn't, but <laughs> Greg Young did. I mean, it's, it's all patched up since between people I know at the club. Not not sure whether some of their fans will ever see two sides to that story. So 2012, I mean, that, that was just an incredible time, wasn't it? What were your standout moments of that? Terrific. I remember yeah. feeling really relaxed because I'd seen so many Luton against York games and I, I kind of had a sense of how they all panned out. Luton came out 100 miles an hour. York were a bit more um, subtle. They were good defenders, weren't they? You had Parslow, you had Graham, you had Gibson. So, so you know, they tended to soak that up. And even when I think Luton went ahead of the first minute, second minute, and yeah. then, like, I remember um, Steve Cowell and Pete Martini were both working with me that day, and they were thinking, oh, don't fancy this now. They've got 35,000 here. It's almost like a big Kenilworth Road, you know, mm. atmosphere's hostile. And I said, as long as they don't get another goal, York will go on and win it. And they looked at me as if I was mad, you know what I mean? But yeah. I was quite relaxed because yeah, I'd seen yeah. it pan out before. Yeah, and, it, and what a game. I, I looked at it, it, one of the highlights for me that season was the Grimsby away game. Yeah. 
Was, Jamal Fifield. It was <laughs> Tuesday night, and it was there wasn't that many City fans that went. I think there was only about two hundred and twenty of us. I think. Yeah. That was some of the best football I've yeah. ever seen York City play ever. Two 0 up, coasting. Could have been five 0 up, really. Yeah, and then yeah. somehow Grimsby got two. I think Coulson got one of the goals for Grimsby that night. And uh, yeah, he thinking, played well. How's this gone to two two? This is just so unfair. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Fifield just sort of what a game. Just looks up. I'll just ping this in the bottom corner from 25 and you could just see it like trickle off yeah. the post and then yeah. keeper couldn't get it there. and then obviously the season after was Mills unlucky to get sacked yeah I think Gary would obviously disagree he felt that he'd still turn it around but I think it was was it 11 games without a win the club had obviously been there before and then seeing how these long runs can you know manifest themselves in, into real crises but there have been some funny signings hadn't there? the signings hadn't really worked in the and, uh, Everson and Everson, people like yeah. that were brought in so I felt it was a brave decision obviously it's a bit like Ranieri getting the bullet at Leicester the following season isn't it probably yeah. more unfair yeah the man who, who's won twice at Wembley got so, you yeah. back in the league after how many years 2008 yeah, eight yeah. years finds himself sacked it was a brave decision but history tells you it was probably the right one wasn't it because they still needed to do a lot to stay up that season 11 games without a win to win in four and draw in two out of the last six with the way it was going perhaps not so were you good for Gary though I mean obviously yeah to be honest Dan you're good for most managers because you know all of them is such a tough tough job I obviously have the the privilege of getting to know the managers as people and as as personalities and you know it's it's very easy when you're a fan and I've been a fan <laughs> just to slaughter managers and say the cruelest of things and throw everything at them and that's part of football and it doesn't affect what I write about them and hopefully the ones that have been fair even when I've had to criticise them have, have been okay everybody thinks you know in football are oh, it's a merry-go-round they'll get another job but the reality is for most York City managers that I, I've worked with quite a few haven't haven't gone on to get their next job your mate Jackie obviously a, a relationship between you two broke down it all came to a head the week we played Barrow away I think it was a 2-0 defeat and he said after the game that he would have to think about his future now the Monday afterwards I got a call from from somebody who, who was in the know saying that the manager hadn't been at training that day Monday so you're immediately thinking oh he's gone yeah he said he was considering his future on Saturday so, that, so then you're asking questions, you know, and the club basically w- wouldn't comment on that. Subsequently, a picture emerged of him picking up a new car in Scotland on Monday, which is fair enough. To be honest, the way he should have played it is perhaps say Saturday wasn't happy with the players' performances. I needed to get away, let them stew on it Monday, and then I'm coming in Tuesday. So, so you know, the, the fact that he's picking up his car in Scotland isn't a problem at all. Because I wasn't getting from the club that he had not been taking training that day, and a picture of him comes out on Twitter, picking up his car you then have to report that he wasn't at training because he was in Scotland picking up his his new car now I didn't pass any judgment on on that some some of the best managers in the country hardly ever step on the training pitch do they so I think at the time fans did jump upon it and say look you should be at, at training on Monday after a bad result tried to make it balanced by saying here's one tweet saying manager should be in training after a defeat on a Monday somebody else had tweeted you know leave him alone he's entitled to have a day off to see his family in Scotland but it was just used as an explanation say that he hadn't been at training which kind of fueled a bit more speculation in terms of what he'd said on the Saturday about reconsidering his future now he subsequently wasn't happy with that he rang the following day after the story had gone into the newspaper despite having rang him 
several times to see what was happening and whether what he'd said on Saturday, whether there's he'd thought about it any further. If he likes his new car, but, or... but didn't didn't return any of those calls. As soon as he saw the newspaper, he, he was on, and he didn't quite grasp it really. He, he was saying, you know, what what business is it of yours? Of you know, if I go and, and pick up the car, and I said, well, this, this, it was just an explanation as to where you'd been, rather than you know speculation growing that you hadn't been there because you'd said you were reconsidering your future. So anyway, subsequently, a day later, our court reporter said to me, how how old's Jackie McNamara? I said, well, he's the same age as me. And she says, oh, well, there's a, a Jackie McNamara whose case has been heard today, who's uh, been charged with non-payment of a, of a rail fare. So it's just like, great. And it's something that we, we consider when you're a newspaper and you're covering York City, there are Manchester United. So if Jose Mourinho, as Manchester United manager, gets um, fined for not paying a train ticket, it's obviously a view of news yeah. value to the Manchester Evening News whether Joseph Mourinho likes it or not. And Jackie McNamara is no different when you're in his position as York City manager and that happens and other newspapers arguably should have been there. You know, it should get picked up and our court reporter was doing her job and that is obviously a story of interest to York City fans. So didn't write a word right. on that. Uh, subsequently, I might have included it in match reports and things like that, but we rang the club, we rang him and we delayed publication by a whole day just to try and get his yeah. side of the story. He chose not to get back to us either through the club or himself but then when the story was run subsequently hit the roof and the next thing i hear is i'm getting slaughtered on talk sport had to write how appalling it was in terms of the job he'd done in terms of results on the pitch and players that he was bringing in naivety and, and watching it was just soul destroying weren't you because you knew how long it took to get back into the football league previous time and suddenly you're heading for another division down where there's only one automatic promotion place i couldn't write this while i was at the press because you don't want to depress people but the reality of that period i felt was back-to-back relegations where the club are now in my mind i thought that's it for 10 years process might be quicker if steve watson's onto something but and now now the playoffs are even a a one in six chance rather than a one in four but but then obviously jackie stays as well once he's He's left the job. So how's that? Because obviously you had quite a good relationship with Gary Mills. He then comes back, but then you've not got this good relationship with Jack. How, how does that work for you as a journalist? Yeah, it was a peculiar period because I wasn't granted any interview access at the time. So Gary had obviously come in, but I couldn't speak to him pre or post-match. Uh, that was relaxed after a while. Good in a way because we we obviously got the story of Gary Mills coming back. We broke that before club did even though I was banned at the time so that was a point of professional pride I remember it was a Sunday morning and I was taking my daughter to the the pictures it might have been despicable me or something like that so I knew I had this story it was obviously that you could time it to go on website and Twitter so I just pressed it before I went in to watch the film and then turned my phone off knowing it had caused absolute bedlam <laughs> switched it on when I came out and uh, <laughs> the phone had obviously gone berserk the notifications were going mad and because relations weren't that great at the time and so there was a little bit of satisfaction even if it's a bit naughty that I think everybody at the club then had to go into work to announce that Gary Mills was officially coming after they'd hoped to break that story on the Monday Did you think Gary would keep him up? Yes, gotta say after Easter when they got out of the relegation zone with those back-to-back wins at Chester and Solihull it looked like job done didn't it and just one more point after the Wrexham defeat you yeah, that's a bad one, but one as well. there's still chance here. But after the Woking game and that penultimate match, I thought, oh no, that's yeah. it, blown it because I know two or three other clubs could have gone down as well, couldn't they? 
but I just couldn't see where that result was going to come from elsewhere. And yeah. I was quite quite surprised. Geisley took until the 95th minute to save themselves. Nothing was riding on it, I think, for them, was it? I yeah, well, I think that almost helped York City as well, because Forest Green were in the playoffs, were they? So they yeah. kind of changed their team quite a bit. I don't think they really bothered about winning no. so I think they were there for the taking. I just thought it wasn't we... going to be decided at Boovham Crescent. No. I always thought. But it's if the they'd have won, it would have been enough. Was he unlucky to get sacked the second time as well, do you think? In hindsight, the the next two managers didn't do any better, did they? So I think the mistake that was made was having gone with Gary Mills, you, re- you couldn't really have not done because you, you couldn't, point the finger at him in terms of relegation and you know he just won at Wembley convinced a lot of players now people might not not believe it but you know there were players who could have got deals at conference clubs it persuaded them you know stick with me we'll only be down here for another season we'll be back up so you know the squad on paper looked good but I think he was under no illusion and you know perhaps again we were all guilty of thinking as we were when the club dropped from the league into non-league football conference north be be fine under mills would be straight back up so i think in his head he knew it was going to be difficult but i don't think any of us really did and you know when he were in fourth or fifth arguably he would have got him in the playoffs i would imagine the problem you had once you got rid of him is you had a group of players who'd all yeah. sign for him basically yeah, yeah yeah on the understanding that we're going straight back up I mean, all I'm of a sudden the results are going wrong and these players thinking i don't really want to be here if he's not here. Because when we won at 5 0 at Bradford Park Avenue, I was thinking, this is going to be too easy. Yeah. I think, Switched it six yeah. weeks later and we're 2 0 down at Harrogate and we've yeah. been comprehensive outplayed, yeah. I'm thinking. But they were a good team, Harrogate. Yeah, they were they? a really good side. I think he was a little unfortunate, but I think what needed to be considered was if you do sack him, you've got a problem on your hand because these players are his players. And subsequently, that was proven, was he? They never quite played as well for the next manager as they did for for Gary Mills. So let's move on. How has journalism changed since 2003? It's changed an awful lot. I mean, even if I go back to 1997, which is when I started at Luton, we didn't have a website then. I don't think we had access to the internet. So, you know, you would do all your research based on looking at Rothman's books, yearly books. So, you know, I go back to remembering downloading the first Luton Town story onto the Luton News Sports website page. And, and, you know, instead of promoting it on Twitter or Facebook, you would go onto the unofficial fans forum and post a link on there to try and drive the, the web traffic. It's just got bigger and bigger, the digital side, obviously, and it's, you know, to, to the detriment of the, the print product. And, you know, will will newspapers themselves be around in 10 years? Is You know, there's an argument that probably not. And, you know, it's, it's been tough because it's very hard also to make the digital side profitable. Nobody likes to see adverts on when you on your phone and you open up a York City store. You don't want to be navigating yourself around adverts, but the reality is... Unless you charge people for the content, which people seem to object to as well, it's, it's you know there's no other way of financing it. But I think the whole industry could have been smarter. You know they should have seen you know how long's the internet been around. But I think the industry as a whole should have got together and said you know we're not letting out our content for free. Once you've done that, and then you start expecting people to pay for the products, it's it's very difficult. But you know you have to be imaginative, don't you? And on a local patch. I always thought the way about it would be, you know, yeah, you ask people to pay a subscription fee, but in association with the the local companies that you work with, you know, can we get £10 off such and such restaurant by promoting them or, you know, two two cinema tickets for the price of one and your bowling or or whatever, but Mm. that's never happened 
for whatever reason. In terms of the job, I knew at Luton we were a weekly newspaper. Sometimes I could sit on a story that I got on Thursday, which was never the time you wanted to get a story because you're not. It was a paper that came out on a Wednesday. It didn't come out until the Wednesday. Now, unheard of in this day and age because, you know... Now you can send it just before Despicable Me starts. <laughs> well, that's it, isn't it? But, but everybody's got access. I mean, I mean, you know, there's so many people in the know in football. And whereas previously, you know, they'd, they'd bring you, up a journalist perhaps. Yeah. Now they can be the stars on unofficial forums by breaking the news on there. So in that respect, it's, it's changed a lot. Obviously, the job itself self's changed a lot in terms of the match day blogs you do now which is great you know to have that facility to be able to break news as it happens whereas previously you had to sweat it out and hope mm. that, that nobody got it before you could print it has been brilliant the, just the fear is is one gonna cut the throat of the other and and eventually well if the newspaper goes the website probably goes as well because yeah. i think you know in this country we've, we've got to think about whether we do value local news or not a lot of clubs are um, trying to kind of get themselves to release the news as well out there yeah. what favorite match you've you've covered well, obviously the um there's lots that stand out the Wembley games obviously especially you know getting back into the football league but other games stand out i mean the, the only game that i've ever reacted emotionally and physically was um Luton at home in the first leg playoff semi final. Yeah. Because yeah. Luton, let's be honest, they battered York. Yeah, they had. They looked yeah. like a team that were on a different planet for an hour. And for Brody to then break and smack that goal in in front of the Longhurst was, yeah. was such a moment. So I, I actually punched the air that time. That's the only time. <laughs> I mean, because you, you, it's a job you do well. because yeah. you've, you've once a goal goes in, you've got to get it on Twitter as soon as possible. But that was just a spontaneous reaction to a great moment. But there's other games. I mean, you remember bizarre ones like Droylston away. You know what? What a drab match to go to over the Christmas period. Yeah. Then all of a sudden it throws up a four-three. Four yeah. Where there's three goals in injury time. The win at Dagenham to stay in the football league. Terrific yeah. game. And that that was actually a defining moment for myself because. I obviously grew up supporting Doncaster because they're a hometown team and that's the team my dad took me to watch. I believe everybody should support their hometown team. Obviously, being in my job and covering York City for as many years as I have done, people would argue you can't, but I would argue you can support two sides. Now, on that day, when City, you know, that was such an intense few weeks. We had the big game against Southend and it ebbed and flowed. I remember Accrington, as they always do, scoring a late equaliser. You think, oh no, that's it again. And then go and win at Northampton. You know, they'd done so well and still needed a result at Dagenham. So to get that result was fantastic. But on the same day, Donkster were trying to get in the championship. And it was a very famous um, game in Donkster's history where Brentford oh, went Brentford. from yeah, yeah. Yeah, clinching promotion and consigning Donny to the um, playoffs oh. to hitting the bar and then Donny breaking up the other end and finishing the season promoted. But I'd got so wrapped up in York City... I didn't really know what had happened in Donny until a few hours later. So for me, that was like a pivotal moment in terms of, do I support here really? And it's, um, you know, I was probably edging towards City at that time. And finally, what's your best ever 11? <laughs> the, the initial 11 that I picked didn't have Matty Blair in the side. To be honest, he's the nicest bloke. If, if you ask me who's the nicest footballer ever to play for York City, Matty's obviously the man. The, the day he left York, he came to our office with a tray of cakes for all the staff, which is, you know, an unheard of, fantastic gesture. So what a guy. But, but regardless of that, the part he played in getting the club back into the league during that second half season, you know, deserves a place in my all-time York City. 11 so he's got a place now so so Matty would probably be playing out of position in this formation but I'll I'll run through it anyway it would be Nick Pope in goal 
what a pleasure it was to watch him yeah, as a youngster. I don't think anybody's surprised at the strides he's made in the game since. I'm going to go with three at the back. Dan Parslow put in such an amazing shift for York, yeah, and let's not forget the part he played in the um, playoff final and, and during that second half of the season when he had to fill in for Scott Kerr. And, and equally, he was brilliant during that first season in the Football League when he played in front of the back four for, for Nigel Worthington again in that midfield role. But I'd stick him in defence alongside Dave McGurk, who was obviously so consistent for the club, so reliable. And Keith Lowe, I think you'd have to have him. And he, he was the only player during my period to win back-to-back player of the year awards. I think he was pretty much faultless for those two seasons. And he scored a lot of goals in the yeah. second season as well. So then I'd have five across the middle of the park, which would be Matty Blair, right wing back, purely because of his, his stamina and energy. He sort of plays that for Donny now, doesn't he? So he does, yeah. Got... I don't like him in that position as much, but I've got to shoehorn him in, into the team. Cause he, but he was obviously phenomenal in those front three positions for York. Anyway, he had a bit of licence to, to roam around, but I'll go with him at, at right wing back. Two anchoring midfielders would be Andre Bucco, who I think, you know, perhaps he didn't achieve what he should have done in the game because I would argue that his skills and mastery of a football was Premier League class. That, I think that first half of the season where he just dictated play brilliantly. Was, the only problem with him was he didn't do it further up the pitch, but in this team he, he could play the anchoring role and you, you know he'd keep the ball for you. Alongside him would be Neil Bishop. When you look at it, there hasn't been that many midfielders during my period that have, have gone on to do do better having left City. I thought he was really good that season when, when York got into the playoffs, 2007. So you'd have him alongside Buka and then James Meredith would be a left wing back. He was a player we, we really saw blossom at York and he, did, he looked a bit raw at first and a bit nervous. But, you know, he, he obviously did really, really well and he's he subsequently kicked on too. Then you'd have Martin Wolford just in front of four-man midfield, linking midfield and attack. Again, terrific signing by Billy McEwen. Could play in a number of positions, but I think he was, he was really good in that number 10 role where he could get on the ball and make things happen. And I think the front, Clayton Donaldson, who was another one who we had the pleasure of seeing really kick on at York City. So fast and so skillful and you know, a real handful for, for defences at that level and higher levels subsequently. Richard Brody, 37 goals. That season, incredible. Only one player, I think, I'm right in saying, half a bottom has ever scored more in a season. And, you know, whatever people might think of him during his second spell, where he obviously wasn't fit enough to, to repeat those heroics, I think. In that season, let's be honest, the way he was playing, he should have gone on to play better. I, I feel, and so some people would argue not, but I feel he was he could have played in the Championship the way he was playing that season. Just through his strength, his pace he had at that time, his finishing, his left foot... Yeah, he, he had everything. Crawley, Crawley yeah. Wrong, wrong place in the country for him almost yeah. as well. I mean, fully settled there. Well, Dave, absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming in. No, thank you for um, having me. I really enjoyed uh, your thoughts and everything. So there we have it. End of episode four and end of the series as well. Thanks once again to everyone who's tuned in, everyone who's downloaded, left comments on Twitter. and hope you enjoyed hearing Dave Flett. I thought it was quite an interesting choice to have as a guest. I know he's not a player, but... He's someone who's covered York City over a number of years and I just thought having that different perspective would be of an interest to York City supporters. Also, probably a lot of people have read his match reports and five things we learned and all that sort of stuff over the years and probably didn't really know what he, what he sounded like. So there you go, we've kind of ticked that box off as well. This episode was again sponsored by Play Football, promoting their walking football initiative. Don't forget you can give them a call on 01904 238230 if you want to get in touch and find out more information. 
like I mentioned before, we're looking to do a second series, but a lot of that, because it is a charity, relies on us getting sponsorship. So if you are a, a bit of local business and a York City fan, that combination seems to work quite well. You know, please get in touch through Twitter or, or through email or, or even pop into the top of the main stand to the commentary box. You know, before the home games, we're always there uh, broadcasting live every York City home game. Until then, thanks again for listening and uh, hope we see you again soon.